Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Once again, we bring you the vast and vivid palette of the American lifestyle here on The Tom Gully Show. We are screaming down the 101 South, I would say, I'm with Chris Gore, who I've known for years, sort of. 20 slightly. plus years. I've known you since 1989. Right. It's weird. I, I look back now, and a lot of the people who you know, wrote for Film Thread back in the day now are, are very successful in the film industry. This is interesting. I first of all, I collect colonial newspapers from the 1700s. Wow! Uh, I went to a auction in San Diego about 15 years ago. I was lucky enough to buy a lot of about 500. Look, a colonial newspaper. I think I'll have it. What what made you do that? Um, it was the I love history. I was always been a history buff, and when I saw these newspapers available, I just said to myself, this is, this is a way to go back. And I'm walking around the house just shaking my head saying, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in. Place your tray table in its upright locked position and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Sunday, October 5th, 2014, episode 217. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on the Tom Gully Show, our L.A. trip reaches part three as we journey back to Dallas. First, we'll celebrate our diamond jubilee of knowing Chris Gore as he does an impromptu interview while I, you know, get driven by him to Union Station, um, all with the well-known comedian in the back seat true story then the big train journey begins with a bang tom that's me interviews an amazing guy named tony who i met on the train and the guy just busts out this amazing story okay so one guy i've known for 25 years the other guy i just met it's all part of the ships that pass in the night during part three of our la trip with chris gore and amazing tony tonight on the Tom Gully Show. Alert Americans will heed history's lessons. Throughout history, surprise has had a leading role in military disasters. Today, an enemy capable of surprise air attack could leave chaos in his wake. That's why you should be in the Civilian Ground Observer Corps, volunteering a few hours a week to guard our skies. Be a ground observer. Contact your local civilian defense office. 
You're listening to the Tom Gully Show. And what, what's your what's your what's your radio show? Where are your radio show hosts at? Where are your radio hosts? Where are you at? Where are you at? What's your what's your show? What's it called? Is it the podcast that's non-existent? You know what? When it launches, can I be on? Can I be on? Please, 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 please. please. Sure thing, crazy lady. Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. Boy, I have never met somebody with a more self-serving, pompous media blowhard that you give fresh Wimble a good name. Several hours. Once again, we bring you the vast and vivid palette of the American lifestyle here on the Tom Gully Show. We are screaming down the 101 South. I would get into a long dissertation of the various ways you could get on or off and where you could do both of those things if I was talking like most of the people here in California. I'm lucky enough to be in, this is a Ford, isn't it? No. What is it? It's it's a Toyota RAV4 tricked out like the Batmobile. It is tricked out like the Batmobile. I've seen it in pictures. Right. The uh, styling near the, the exhaust. Rack. I'm with Chris Gore, who I've known for years, sort of. 20 slightly. plus years. I've known you since 1989. Right. So that's that's like 25 years. We have just Wait. celebrated Wait our diamond jubilee. Wait a second. No. It's more. No, that's 25 years. No, it's 25 years. years. Yeah. yeah. 25 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, of course, the... It depends on when you're listening to this. Like, if you're listening to this in t- the year 2025, it would be more years. But right now, on the 28th of September, the year of our Lord, 2014, uh, it's been 25 years. We just had a celebratory nacho and beer silver jubilee celebration. And, of course, with us is the well-known comedian and... Uh, Virulent racist uh, Yoshi Obayashi. It's is, it's 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 actually pronounced Yoshi Obayashi. Obayashi. Like oh so. my goshi. Like oh my goshi. Okay. Obayashi. And uh, I apologize for mispronouncing your name. And Yoshi oh. does a podcast called Yoshi Didn't. Yoshi does a podcast called like Yoshi Didn't, and uh, a very very funny man. Um, He's open for the likes of David Tell. Joe Rogan, Brian Redband, Sam Tripoli, amazing comedians. Uh, we are still traveling as uh, we continue our coverage. Barreling down the Driving in Los Angeles, uh, barreling down 101 South. Um, Chris Gore. Where do you begin with Chris Gore? What, what's... What's a guy like Chris Gore? I mean, what made you do the book and album, Celebrities Poop? I mean, I never know how you come up with these ideas, and I'm I'm not terrible at thinking up that stuff. I mean, figuring out how. What what does it just hit you? Do you sit down because you're you're kind of a PT Barnum asking that you seem to be able to see what audiences want and don't want. Do you start from there, or do you start from this is a fucking cool idea and I'm just going to do it? I. I just wanted to do something unique for a comedy album since uh, nobody buys CDs anymore. So CDs are kind of dead. So I, I wanted to figure a different way for people to buy a comedy album because what, what some comedians are doing now is they sell download cards at shows, which I think is kind of lame. It's like, I mean, I get it because we're all digital and it's fun to have something that someone can sign if they want it to be personalized. But 
a download card seems kind of lame. So I thought, well, what if, what if my download card for my album came with a book and the book was a parody of the book, everyone poops, but it was celebrities poop. So that's what, that's what, uh, I came up with. Wow. You're so serious, right? You're driving. I'm driving. I'm actually, I'm actually trying not to crash. Oh, that's no fun. Um, very first cover Film Threat magazine I ever saw was illustrated by Glenn Barr, and it was James Dean with the cigarette sort of dropping out of his mouth, and that's only half the story because one of the favorite things that you've ever done, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, was when you interviewed James Dean from the grave. at the gravesite. Right, at the gravesite, yeah, I... I went to Fairmont, Indiana, which is the home of James Dean, where, where he, you know, he's buried. And I went to the gravesite, and I just—I mean, it's really just a series of questions. There's no, there are no responses. But um, James, he was kind of a hero. It's someone I, I looked up to. He's the first, you know, actor I really paid attention to when I was like, you know, in high school. You know what? And that reminds me of another thing. One of the best things... Uh, God, that Film Threat magazine... For those of you... Who, I'm sure you can go on eBay and pay $3 million for some of the, the you know, out-of-print copies of it. But you wrote a freaking awesome story, article... I don't know what you'd call it... About what James Dean would have done had he lived. Oh, and I'm right. going to tell you what. That was so entertaining because you... You sort of took him into a Marlon Brando direction for a while, and then had to make a comeback. And he played in Star Wars and stuff. I think he was. Version. Yeah, he was. Uh, he played the space wizard Obi Wan Kenobi, and that movie tanked. So I, I wrote a, basically an alternate history of film, of the movie industry. Like, what if James Dean had lived? But I mean, I was always looking to just find a different way to talk about film, and uh, that was one of the things I did. I think. You know, I look now and I feel like the internet was kind of like Film Threat was the internet before the internet existed because it was very raw. It was very um, smart ass, very punk rock, smart ass. Like it was very, I don't know, take no prisoners kind of attitude about everything. And we did some things that I actually look back now that I completely regret. But I was taking risks at the time, you know, and so not everything I did worked but I think people's memories of film thread is probably better than the actual magazine better than the writing because I still was figuring a lot of figuring I was figuring out a lot of things yeah but you also gave a lot of people chances with your magazine well, you know it's, you it's weird I, I look back now and a lot of the people who you know wrote for film thread back in the day now are are very successful in the film industry and everyone except for me like that is uh you know, I, I've tried my hand at a lot of different things. Just because I get bored creatively doing one thing, um, but yeah, that it, uh, it's 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 surprising to me how much of an impact the magazine had on a lot of people. Now that you're doing so much other stuff, you know, I I know how much you love film, and I know you know that 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 was like obsessive devotion for what 25 years and stuff and then you started getting asked to do other things you started enjoying doing other things and it leads you into different directions 
how much actual film stuff do you get to do today? Not much. I, I actually get to see movies uh, for pleasure. I actually only go to see... I think that's the thing that, you know, I, 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 I like to see a lot of movies, but after a while, when you have to see a movie, then it becomes obligation, and going to the movies becomes something that's not fun. Um, so it's kind of like really loving cheeseburgers, but then working in a fast food restaurant, <laughs> and after a while, you begin to not like cheeseburgers, and so having seen so, you know, having to see every movie in previous capacities for work, whether it was Film Threat or my work on G4, you know, at Attack of the Show, when you have to see all the movies, they don't become fun, and that's where you get, like, you know, after a while, you are trying to entertain yourself by talking about a latest movie and talking about it in a way that's not particularly flattering, but is probably more, more entertaining than the film itself. Whoa. Uh, two last questions here, because we're getting close to the train station. And um, this, you're very professorial here tonight. Is, I, I'm Am very I? impressed. Yeah, you're, you're very IFC. Oh, look yeah, at me. You're, you're, look at me being all serious. Yeah, you're very... Uh, the first question is, can I get the name of the girl at, what was the name of the club, first of all, that the 3D Invisible, wasn't it called the Something Something Club? It something was the, 3Ds. Something it was 3Ds. the, the 3D I Invisibles. Like 3Ds. Played, I think it was the 3D Club or something. I think it was like. 3D Club, yeah. Yeah. And it had been there forever, I think it's closed you now. You might want to bleep the girl's name, because she's probably on Facebook. Uh, no, I, uh, well, let's just, yeah, so it was the... Th- 3D, whatever. 3Ds. Uh, I know. You can give me her name. You don't actually have to say the name, but do you remember yep. the I name think I know who of it is. the girl that I nailed? Is she have red hair? Bag of red hair. Betty Page Bangs in the front. Major yep. Cans. Was wearing a black skirt and some... I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, is she... Uh, is it, is yeah, I know. Content? I'm friends with her on Facebook. Yeah, we can look her up after. Awesome. Uh, and then last but definitely not least... Can you, in like, say, maybe 30 seconds to 45 seconds, sum up the Yoshi uh, Obayashi? Obayashi. I actually started doing the Oh My Gashi to get, you know, like the George Takei, because that's okay and all that. Can you describe this man in in 45, what, 60 maybe seconds? Uh, Yoshi Obayashi is uh, my favorite comedian. That's why I, I try to perform with him so I can watch him for free. And <laughs> his humor is extremely edgy, talking about a lot of topics. He, he says, I mean, I've seen crowds like bring out the pitchforks for him sometimes because some of the humor is so edgy. It's so like... I mean, most of the time when you hear a Yoshi joke, it's like, I can't believe he said that. And then you start to laugh at that. And it's like, I can't believe he said that. (laughs) And that's pretty much every time he performs, Um, which I'm surprised that he isn't more famous. But he's also the type of comedian that other comedians like. So because, you know, he's going to get out and do 20 minutes and fucking kill. So um, he's very reliably getting on stage like rapid fire, like the jokes just you know, uh, just one right after the other and one more vile, disgusting. You're almost embarrassed to be laughing at a lot of the humor. So I'll throw my two cents in. Come 
for the one-of-a-kind, incredible, can't-be-matched comedy. Stay for the NFL analysis. He's good at that, too. So, At any rate, uh, I love Chris Gore. Always have loved him. Not as a person, but like the stuff he does. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, Chris Gore is always coming up with brand new stuff, a brand new way to look at things, a brand new way to entertain people, a brand new basically to make people laugh. And and yeah, you learn stuff sometimes and stuff, but man, but you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to learn anything if you don't want to. No, but it just accidentally happens. Sometimes. If, it, if you accidentally learn something, forgive me. Yeah, but you, you're. It's like the closest I can remember to being in detention. And normally, when you were in detention, they had that one bastard teacher that would just keep you on his thumb. This was the day in detention when they accidentally asked the music teacher to come in and do detention. And and, and like the the you're just laughing your ass off, making fun, uh, and looking at things in like maybe a smarter way than some people do sometimes. I always say the same thing. It's like Chris Gore is like one half Hunter S. Thompson, one half. Court jester. I'd like, uh, I'd like to be one percent those people. Well, one percent, Hunter S. I, I'll take that. Shoot yourself in the head with a BB gun. Yeah, I could do yeah. that with the plastic BBs. Yeah. So it just leaves a big mark. At any rate, uh, I have hassled Chris for the last two days to get together with me. He was kind enough to do so. And now he's kind enough to drive me to the train station. Um, which is dangerous because the last person that offered to do that immediately had their colon nicked. Right. I don't mean stolen in British parlance. I mean actually nicked with a knife. So We will continue our coverage from the train as once again we bring you the vast and vivid palette of the American lifestyle and look for cute girls on the Tom Bell Show. The Amtrak trip I took from L.A. to Dallas was incredible. I can't recommend it enough. And I'll get into that in more detail course in the next podcast where you'll meet a guy named Robert and learn about his new board game among other things uh, but one of the best things on the train are these spontaneous meetings that you have with people and one such meeting was with a guy named Tony that I met along the way like most everybody else on the train that I met uh, Tony has a story to tell once again here on the Tom Gully Show, annoying the crap out of people all across the nation. We're doing it more slowly and intensely on trains now, but uh, we were lucky enough to meet Robert for breakfast, and that led us, of course, to uh, getting to know a little bit about his game, Kudos. And then Robert, of course, uh, said, I know a guy, I met a guy, and uh, you should talk to him. So we go out and have a smoke, uh, and he introduced me to this great guy, Tony, and Tony and I start talking, and, and I instinctively know this guy's got a story to tell. Very personable man, and uh, you concurred on that. Tony, uh, say a little about you. you know, you're not from L.A. or Dallas. I'm from uh, New York City. Moved to Los Angeles in 1976. Been here ever since. Love it. Great town. Love the weather. Oh, beautiful. So uh, I'm here to stay. And you live in Playa del Rey, which is a very nice place to say, right? It sounds good. It, it's, it's, it's a nice place. It's by the coast, and uh, it's just one of those places where if you're going to move to California, live by the water. Mm -hmm. And that's what I... It took me a long time to get there, but I did. Yeah. So I'm still there now, and hopefully I'll be there 
until they caught me away. What did what made you move to California from New York? Well, I had one child and one on the way, and I decided if I don't change now, I'm never going to be able to do it. So I just decided to get on the uh, the bandwagon, get on the, the train, and do it. So I came here, went to Glendale College, got a job, and uh, just moved on from there, and it worked out great. Beautiful, beautiful. And you're a train traveler, right? You like yeah. me. I mean, I know I'm a virgin, but I mean, it's, this is it, man. It's the only way to go. I'm a people person, and, and I like scenery. If I fly, I can't see anything. And I want to be able to recognize this country for what it is. The changing of the sceneries when you go across country is amazing. And to see it firsthand is just something that I think everybody should do. Yeah. And you get to meet so many people here. We were talking about, you know, I guess if somebody had asked me before I got on the trip, you're forced to eat with other people. But now it's like, no, who, who's going to be at the table this time? Right, right. And that's the best part because you're, you're sequestered. You know, at a table with with two people. If you if you have two people, they put two people there. It's a, a table of four, and you get to know these people after 40 minutes, and it's a wonderful opportunity to eat with somebody you don't know and start a friendship that could last for a long time. Well, let's hope. Uh, now, one thing I noticed about you, you you have got that New York thing where uh, people from New York have a I don't want to, I, I go ahead and say it. It's a confidence. It's a quiet confidence. And then you start talking to them and you realize, like we were talking to you and you're, you're talking about like the people on, a, I was worried, uh, wow, I hope they won't leave me here. And you're, and you're like, don't worry about it. They'll yell bored real loud. It's okay. You know, you just, it's that, uh, you know, you just, you've been around, you're not worried, you're not panicked. Uh, it's that quiet, calm thing that I respect so much. I'm a Midwesterner. We're worried about everything. But you guys... Uh, in New York, you learn to survive. And and in that, you have plan A, B, C, and D. If something <laughs> doesn't work out, okay, you go to plan B. And then if not, you go to C. And that's my approach. So if I get thrown off the train, okay, it's another adventure. You know, let's just get on some sort of donkey and, and go somewhere else and get to our destination that's basically it now you said that you you've got a story to tell okay. it's the thing and i, I, I want to hear about it this, i don't want this is interesting i first of all i collect colonial newspapers from the 1700s wow uh, i went to a auction in san diego about 15 years ago and was lucky enough to buy a lot of about 500 and at that time for some reason at the auction house nobody wanted them and i picked them up Actually, it was quite a lot of money, but to me, it was a song. And it was uh, from about 1765 to 1799. And the majority of the newspapers are called the Massachusetts Spy, which is a great name. Yeah. It's from uh, right outside of Boston. Anyway, to make a long story short, I started reading them. I found I couldn't really understand them, so I had to learn history again to pick up an article in the newspaper from 245 years ago. Well, the parlance was completely different. Wait, I said parlance. Uh, that just shows you. It was completely different. The, 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 the terms they would use for common items were completely different than the ones we use now. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's different than reading a history book because you're reading a point in time that somehow was escaped the history book and you have to go back and Google it and find out what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And once you put it together, you can sort of make the big picture of history. Anyway, to make a long story short, I started putting them on eBay because I had so many, 
I went through descriptions of it, found little tidbits of information, put it in the description, and they went absolutely berserk. So it was a it was a great little venture for me as far as selling them and then getting more and, and picking them up. But uh, I have this one newspaper now on eBay. It's the first inaugural address of George Washington's first first presidency in 89. A very rare newspaper and I have it on for a lot of money and uh, you know it, it's one of those things where I'm gonna leave it there until the right person is looking for it. Mm -hmm. All right so here we go. So somebody emails me and asks me if I have another copy of the Massachusetts Spy from 1789 and I'm well that's kind of a strange thing so I look through my archives and I find I have 20. So I email him back and said yes I have 20. He says okay this is great this is what I need. I'm looking for a real estate ad that was in the back of a newspaper, the Massachusetts Spy, in 1789, and I'm not sure if it's January through December. And I'm, I'm staring at this email saying, he wants me to find a real estate ad from a newspaper that's 240 some odd years ago. You missed the sale. And, and I'm just shaking my head. So. The next day I went through my archives and I'm looking and the back of these newspapers have these wonderful ads. Oh, yeah. Ships for England, houses for sale, runaway slaves, etc., etc. Steam boilers. Yeah, just random industrial things they needed back then, exactly. you know, uh, teapots, tea kettles. Sure, and then uh, items that were brought back from England to sell to the colonists. Yeah. So I'm looking through it and I go through one paper, nothing. I go through the sixth, the seventh newspaper. By God, there it is the actual ad that he was looking for. And I'm walking around the house just shaking my head saying, this is unbelievable, this is unbelievable. So after I calmed down, I emailed him and I said, I got it. I have the newspaper, it's a, I think it was May 1789 and I described the ad and I read it to him, this and that, and he, he emails me back, he says, absolutely wonderful. He says, now, what do you want for it? <laughs> That's the good part of the negotiation to have that question asked, because now you're kind of driving a train. And I am. <laughs> I, I'm in. I'm in the uh, the booth here. Yeah. So uh, I emailed back and I said, "Well, I sell my newspapers based on the content. You know, the more information, the more it's going to be. And that's basically it. Is if it's an atmosphere newspaper, which means if it doesn't have really a lot of information, it goes for you know I won't say cheap, but you know a couple of bucks." Anyway, so I said, for this particular newspaper, and I described what it had in it, I said, $1 million. And then I, I said, no, I'm only kidding. I said, look, I, I realize that you, for some reason, want this particular ad, and this is going to make a story somewhere that's going to be fantastic, and you can have it for 50 bucks. Oh, wow. So he, he immediately says, give me your phone number. So he calls me up, and he says, Tony, I live in this house. I'm in the house that this ad was there. He says, I found some archives where he had put an ad in the newspaper trying to sell the house in 1789, and I just went for the long shot. And lo and behold, you have it. And I, we both went absolutely berserk. So I went down and I, I FedExed him the newspaper, and he called me up, he says, I got it, and I have a, a picture of the ad in my iPhone because I sent him a picture of it sure. to make sure, because it was the same name. Uh -huh. Daniel Waldo was the, was the guy who was putting the ad in the paper. 
And here it is, right there. So, so he's like the great, 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 great. No, oh. he's not. He's not a relative. He bought the house a long time ago, but he's trying to do the research on, you know, oh, okay. the history of it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is like, uh, this should be on a sh like a Dateline or something, dude. This doesn't happen very often. He told me that he was going to contact a local paper and tell him the whole story and show him the newspaper and and do this. And he was going to call me back uh -huh. and say what issue it is or right. or, or some sort of show. But uh, this has been a couple of months. I haven't heard from him, but I'm looking forward to at one point in time. I mean, one of these antique road show type shows ought to be uh, covering this because this does not happen. I mean, it might happen for like a, a researcher at a library somewhere or something like that. But for a private citizen to just be doing this. Now, what made you start collecting, for crying out loud, colonial war papers? And I, and I really like what you said about history because... When you read history from a book, even if it's a very good nonfiction book, which I love them, uh, it is not the same as reading the accounts of the day in the vernacular of the people who were there because they're writing it in the perspective of the people from those times that don't know what's going to happen in three years or whatever else. We, with the perspective of history, look back and say, this is the way it was back then. And of course, three years later, baloney. They didn't know that. So they're... they're we might think that a certain thing is true in history, but if you go back and read the paper, you'll find the people of the time didn't necessarily think the same thing. You're absolutely right. You know, there's an old saying that says, newspapers are history written in the moment. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. As a matter of fact, uh, in the 1700s, the historical societies went to the editors and said, look, Every newspaper you make, we want you to put one aside and at the end of the year have a bound volume so we can see history the way it was. Right. And the historical societies had all these volumes. I mean, thousands and thousands. And then in the 80s, they put them on microfiche and then let them go into auction houses. So that's how they become available to the uh, of the population what a great story of how they remain preserved you know i mean it's uh sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy you know it's like we want you to protect these so we have history they find a different way to display them to people and then it's now we want you to give them back to the people so they can have the history that that is really 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 cool have you ever been inside an old library or an old building of any kind and seen that some places still have, and I don't know they go back into the 1700s, but you can see Civil War newspapers in like a little library in the middle of nowhere you go, and they, or the town records for that matter, and they are still in those bound, bound yeah. The bound books. Now, the, the interesting thing about it is in the 1700s, they didn't use pulp. They used cotton and rag, and the consistency is a lot better than it is today. Today, they, you leave it out in the sun for a yeah. couple of days and they will just fly away, yeah. you know, and, and just totally disintegrate. But these are like, sort of like a shopping bag consistency. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a little thicker, a little tougher. It depends on the season that they made them, yeah. you know, and they last. They last a long time. Well, excuse me, I derailed my own question. Tony, who, who smokes the world's finest cigars, his lovely <laughs> wife in tow, Seems like a man of the world to me. No offense, but I don't see you walking down the street with your cigar one day going, look, a colonial newspaper. I think I'll have it. What, what made you do that? Um, it was the, I love history. Okay. I was always been a history buff. 
And when I saw these newspapers available, I just said to myself, this is, this is a way to go back. There is nothing better than to get a newspaper in the 1700s, get a cup of coffee, and read what was going on. I'll give you an example of an article, because the newspapers were everything. They were Reader's Digest, everything put in one. And there was this article, and it was about how to clean your chimney. And I said, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. I don't have a chimney, but this should be good. And what they said to do was get two chickens, you go on the roof, and you drop one down at a time, and they would flap their wings and clean the soot from the chimneys. I'm saying, this is unbelievable. But that's the way they wanted you to clean it. You know, I mean, the uh, animal rights today wouldn't really appreciate that. Well, you know, a lot of times you'll, uh, you'll see an article, it'll, it'll have a collection of... Uh, you know, home cures, the, you know, uh, from a newspaper back in, say, the early 1800s or something, and it'll be how to, how to you know, uh, keep your nose from being stopped up. And it's much the same thing, you know. It, you know, take a big piece of cotton and, and shove it through your nose and then hook it from the other end. I mean, they're just insane types of, uh, of things. But, I, you know, not to go back to Paul Richard's Almanac, but they really did... Uh, we think with TMZ and all this crap that we're the kings of lampooning or that we're the, the you know, the snarky, uh, uh, you know, uh, tabloid media. Oh, no. Even back in the 1700s, if a politician was unpopular, in many ways, they were much worse than we are today because there would be a cartoon illustration of the guy being flayed and quartered or something like that. Or hard and feathered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they didn't mess around back then. And then also the... Um, the the scandalous rumors that they would come up with i mean they would they were really doing it to sell papers there wasn't quite as much let's say oversight if the new york times came out and just started kicking out completely untrue stories there'd be a big fuss back then hey look i can write it down it's, it's you know it's 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 gonna sell some papers go ahead yeah exactly that that's the whole idea and even the editors wanted to sell papers yeah. and they dug for information that they possibly could and uh, it's just fascinating reading I advise anybody to go online there's a lot of them online and just read a couple and you'll be surprised at the international national and local news you can find in one of these newspapers and also if you go back to historic documents anytime you can I'll give you an example I love Raymond Chandler's. I think I mentioned regarding uh, Union Station. I keep talking about it on this show because of the Union Station opening of one of his novels. He goes into great detail. I went to the UCLA library where his original manuscripts are. And if you guys are familiar with Phil Marlowe, The Big Sleep, you know, the wisecracking detective and, you know, down these mean streets a man must go who is not himself mean, who is neither tarnished nor afraid. He must be a common man or he could not walk upon common people. Anyway, the whole thing, right? I go into the archives and they've got the actual manuscripts. And I expect these things to be, you know, punched out with some black and white typewriter in an old, in an old grocery bag pulp kind of crappy paper. No, they're on gold paper, like goldenrod, and he used, remember the old typewriters that would have white, black, and blue? The little thing you'd turn on them and the, and the ribbon had the white, the black, and the blue. He typed them in blue. So this guy that wrote all this, you know, dead men are heavier than broken hearts and all this hearts, his, his actual manuscripts looked like Victoria's Secret. I mean, they were beautiful. They're absolutely like, wow. I mean... If you go back to the real historical documents of everything, I don't care what you're studying, go back and look at the police records. Look what they actually said 
Uh, for instance, the uh, famous massacre in Boston where, where, where those guys were killed, go back and read the documents of what happened there, and it will amaze you. The stuff that, in history, they just shorthand it all. Crispus Attucks was the first American, Af the first person killed in the Revolution War. Crispus Attucks, a, an African-American slave. That's right. That's and, absolutely right. And, and if you go back and Actually, read... He was a mulatto. True. Uh, if, if you go back and read the account, they go into great detail of what actually happened on that day. It's like, well, a crowd formed here. The British accosted them. They went to a different... I mean, you, you find out in bloody gory detail what happened rather than just, on this day, this thing happened, that's done, right. and we're gone. You know, that's, that's the whole idea, because you read it in detail. Yeah. Because the history books, they skim over everything, and I can understand it. They can't put everything in. Right. But somebody who's interested in a certain event you have to go back, and with the internet, you can do that. You can go back to that date. Without question, there's a website called Passengers of the RMS Titanic, and they divide these into uh, steerage, crew, everybody. You click on every single one, and there's a bio, and down into the, the people that they found. They found people from the Titanic for years afterwards floating in the North Atlantic. They would tag them put a number on them, do the research, and eventually figure out who they were. And you can go all through that. Survivors, not survivors. Absolutely wonderful. Tony, geez, Louise, do you collect anything else other than fine cigars? No. That's, uh, you know, you can keep going back in history with colonial newspapers. They're a little expensive. But the more you get, the more you know, and the more you know, it's fascinating. Does the colonial time hold any special, you know, meaning for you as yes. opposed to other? Uh, it does, because it's the start of our, our country. Mm -hmm. And to understand the Revolutionary War, you have to go back to the French and Indian War. And to understand that, you have to go back to Europe, and they're fighting each other for 200 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a long, drawn-out history lesson starting from way back when. Continuing on to the War of 1812. and Continuing, yes. Yeah. The, the 1812 was a result of the uh, Revolutionary War because yeah. of the uh, uh, Quebec. Yes. And uh, it, it's just amazing how it just follows suit. It continues on. So it's not just one war. It's a continuing war that never ends. Well, and, and, and all of the problems that people don't realize, they always think that we're so tight with Canada, and we are. Thank you, Canadian friends. But <laughs> uh, we went up there and tried to kick their ass, and they kicked ours, and we had to come back. And, they, and the Canadians will remind you of that. And then they do it in a nice way. They're like, and we've gotten along for hundreds of years, except for that one time you came north of our border and we sent you packing, but let's think nothing of it. I mean, they're very nice about it. Uh, but and, and, and a lot of Americans don't know that the British tried to set the White House on fire. Or no, no, Washington, Washington. The White House wasn't around yet, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the British, I forgot the guy's name. As a matter of fact, um, there's a statue of him, the guy who marched into Washington and pretty much burned down the city. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he, he, you know, the one guy did it. Yeah. You know, he pretty much nailed Washington. And that was the French, the uh, War of 1812. Yeah. And... Um, War of 1812 kind of special to me because it's from a lot, a lot of that, uh, not all of it, but a, a, good, a good number of important things happen in, in where I'm from, Indiana. And uh, 
you look at the Revolutionary War and it's, it's just so heavily associated with New England and that part of the world and people don't realize. No, we were expanding that whole time. The British were right along with us. It was hand in hand. Are we going to be with them? Are we not going to be with them? Are they friends with the Indians? Are we friends with the Indians? And all of that was going on at the same time. It didn't come to a head until later. But, you know, uh, Rogers and Clark, Tippecanoe and Tyler too, all of that was happening in that what they thought was the wild, wild west at the time. But, you know, gosh almighty. Is there anything else that I should know about you that so I'm not going to turn this off and you're going to go, well, then there was the time I, uh, you know. Uh, we'll save that for another Yeah, there, there was the time uh, me and Toot Shore were hanging Eddie Stanky out of the second floor of the Stork Club. But we'll get to that later. Well, Tony, such a pleasure to meet you and to hear that story. Thank you so much. Robert, you are you guys are awesome, man. This is why we travel on the train. So the Tom Gully Show, huge train travel fan, meeting yet more great people. And I'll, I'll if you if you've got eBay links or anything else, and certainly a link to anything you've got, Robert, for uh, kudos, this great game. Give them to me. We'll put them up on the website. Hey there, I love Tom Gully, and I love to watch the Tom Gully Show. So if you want to check it out, just give it a shout at TomGullyShow.com. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. We'd like to thank Chris Gore, his Bat Rav 4, Yoshi Obayashi, Tony, the good people of Amtrak, uh, and the newspaper publishers of the Colonial War era. We couldn't have done this podcast without each and every one of you. Remember, we're doing this trip, you know, kind of in reasonable size podcasts, so look out for another one any second now. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here, huh? We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show, not me, but the show on Facebook too, if the mood strikes you. And of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can get everything about the show, the store that we have with the things that we sell and stuff. And we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes because it's free. And if it's free, it's for me. You can also subscribe by email. A lot of people are enjoying that lately. The email subscription option. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka so I can increase my clout and cred ratings. Because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces. Yeah, I swear to God. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you fine folks much later. Each and every night, Jay Johnson brings us in with the fabulous song, The Truth Wagon. And you can go to jjohnsonmusic.com and learn about all of Jay's awesome tunes. And each night, we take you out with Catch-22 Blues by the Hitman Blues Band.
There, is it, is it working again? Hold on. Check one. There, we check. There, we're back. Uh, uh, the Hitman Blues Band does that song at the end here in just a couple seconds when our microphone's fixed. And uh, you can go to hitmanbluesband.com or hitmanbluesband.net. And if you go to the one that I mentioned last, you can get nine free blues tunes by the Hitman and uh, the band if you just get on their email list, which is not an annoying one. So there you go. And we will see you next time. Well, the bug can't lift a twig for a dog is nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat or a coon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight. But he don't want you You can see it in his eyes From the way he tells you lies But he don't want you